take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The video clip that you just saw, of course, is based on that passage in Jeremiah, which talks about the potter and the clay and reminds us that, in fact, each and every one of us is, is clay in the hands of the potter. And we're reminded in this passage that each of us is really quite frail. Would anybody agree with that this morning? You, you feel or recognize your weakness, your frailty. In fact, you uh, maybe you had a hard time even struggling in the doors this morning because you just felt so overwhelmed by your weakness, by your frailty. Well, I've got good news for you today. Um. It's in your frailty, it's in your weakness that God is glorified. And so rather than sitting here feeling condemned or sitting here feeling worthless, rather than sitting here feeling as though you've got nothing to offer and that somehow you're of no use to God, I want you to know today just how very, very precious, how very special, how very useful you are to our God. And I, uh, I pray that as we go through the message this morning, you'll keep in mind the image of the potter and the clay. And, and that you will pray and ask God to shape you and mold you into the person that he wants you to be. In fact, I'd like us to pray to that end right now. Father, we need your grace today. And Father, for each heart this morning it's, that feels heavy and feels distressed, discouraged, out of sorts, God, would you at this very moment bring your, your great grace, your great love to that heart and give peace. And we thank you this morning, God, that your desire is to pick us up, to lift us up, to encourage us, and to fill our hearts with faith and peace and the assurance that you have all things under control. We give you praise. We give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the question this morning is, why, why doesn't God make things easy for us or make things easier for us? Have you ever wondered that? Why, God, do I have to go through what I'm going through? Why must I struggle the way I am? Why, uh, why don't you just take away this weakness and make me strong? The Apostle Paul had exactly the same question for God. And, and you, you will know the packet passage that I'm going to read in just a moment. You'll, you'll recognize it. But before we read that passage, I, I just want to remind you that God has his purposes. And he has his solutions. And it takes great faith to trust God with whatever it is that you're going through, with whatever it is that you're struggling with. It takes great courage and great faith to trust him. Now, let me just quickly remind you uh, about the Apostle Paul. And some have referred to him as the super apostle. He's a super apostle because, well, quite frankly, uh, he just did more than anybody else. He's called exceptional because, well, historians, Christian and non-Christian, will say that he is one of the most influential persons in all of history. 
And we know that because here is a man who wrote a quarter of the New Testament under the, under the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit. Here is, a, here is a man in his time who was a Pharisee. That means he was a religious and a political leader in Israel. He was a Roman citizen. He was fluent in four languages at least. He had supernatural revelations. He brought Christianity to the Gentiles, and in fact, to most of the world. He was a missionary that spread the gospel um, almost to all of the known world at that time. He did miracles, including raising someone from the dead. Uh, this truly was a super apostle. Now, when I read about that super apostle, I go, stand back and I go, wow, he's amazing. But I sure can't relate to him. This is not somebody I can relate to. In fact, anything, anything that he says, I can't see how I could take it to heart because he's just so super and so great and so amazing. But what most of us don't understand and don't realize is the image that we have of the Apostle Paul is not the image he had of himself. Look what it says in this passage of Scripture here. And maybe you could read that with me, because it's one of those passages of Scripture that you need to circle and underline in your Bible. Can you read this with me? To keep me, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Remember, he's speaking, he's written a letter to the Christians in Corinth, and this is what he says. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Just a minute now. The sufficient. Can you just go back for a sec? That word sufficient. Go back. That's it. Thanks, bud. My grace is sufficient. Do you know what that means? It means it's all that you need. We're not saying God's grace plus anything. We're saying God's grace is absolutely all that you need. Now we can go to the next slide. And so Paul says, therefore, to say it, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, the, the person who doesn't know Jesus and who has not experienced yet the grace of God, you would read something like this and say, this man is certifiably crazy. <laughs> He's out of his mind. Here's a guy who is celebrating not his strengths. He's celebrating his weaknesses. I want you to recognize, friends, how, how utterly opposite this is to the thinking, the mindset of our world. And we are, we as Christians so easily fall into the pattern of the world where we think the thing that defines us and makes us a great and wonderful person is our strengths. But the apostle says, I don't boast about my strengths, I boast about my weaknesses. And you say, well, how on earth can that be? Well, I'm glad you asked that and we'll find out in just a moment. But before we go any further, we're, I want us to think about his weakness for a moment. What is that thorn in his flesh? What is it? What is it that is tormenting him? What is it that God will not take away from him? And the simple answer to that is, I don't know. And I'm glad I don't know. And the reason I'm glad I don't know is because it means now that I can relate to him with my own personal struggle. It means you and I can can relate to this man who some call a super apostle, but this is not 
the definition he gives himself. In fact, you know what he says about himself? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. There's nobody is sinful as me. Wow. What was his ailment? I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a physical ailment. Some th- some scholars think it's poor eyesight. Some think it's deformity of some sort. Others think it's a continuing temptation of a kind that would be extremely humiliating if anyone knew about it. Um, some think it's a shame about some past sin. Uh, some would say it was guilt over a sin of killing innocent Christians. Because remember, before he became a Christian, before he became an apostle, he was going around slaughtering believers because of their faith in Jesus. Was that his thorn, the guilt from that? I don't know. Maybe it was an unpleasant experience or memory from his childhood. I don't know. But I do know this, that it was something that perplexed him. And he, he pleaded with God to take it away from him. So let's just call it a thorn. And... and, and as we call it a thorn, let me ask you what your thorn is. What is it in you that you've prayed and said, God, I wish I wasn't the way I was? Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, I wish you would just make me a different kind of person. God, I wish I wasn't the way I was. I wish I was like somebody else. Why can't I be like him? Or why can't I be like her? Why can't I, why can't I be different? And God says, no, you're just the one I want. Just like in the, in the video we just saw. God's making you into a special vessel that is precious to him. And you're not like anybody else. And God wants to use you with all of your frailty and all of your weaknesses and all of your flaws. That's pretty amazing. And that this morning should give you tremendous hope, tremendous courage. Because some of you have felt as though you're useless to God, and God is here to tell you quite the opposite. You're very, very valuable to him. Very, very useful to him. And he's saying to, he's saying to you today, come to me with your weakness so that I can use you as you are. And you'll, you'll discover God will not change you, make you like somebody else. What he'll do is he'll make you more like Jesus. So the question is this, why does God allow weaknesses and struggles in our lives? Well, the short answer from verse 7 is to keep us from being coming conceited. It's to keep you and me humble. Can I remind you this morning that the thing that, that caused Satan to be thrown out of heaven was his pride, was his arrogance? My friends, this is pride and arrogance is what closes off, which breaks relationship with Almighty God. Did you know that? When there's pride in your heart, then you no longer hear the voice of God. You no longer hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. And so God knows that you and I need to be kept humble. Did you know that? And that's exactly what Paul recognizes. He says, I know, I know, I know, I know why God allows this weakness to go on in my life. I know why God does not take away this thorn because I need to remain humble. And you know yourself, no one likes an arrogant person. No one likes a person who comes across conceited, knowing it all and, and having it all or whatever. You, you, you don't like a person like that. Well, guess what? God doesn't like that either. And so God wants you to be made useful for him. And so the Bible shows us not how to get rid of our weakness, but how to survive. And I'm going to tell you something before we go any further. This goes absolutely contrary to the teachings of our world. 
the teachings, the guidance, the instruction you get from the, from the people of this world that want to make you great, want to make you a better person, they, they will try to convince you that they can help you eradicate, get rid of your weaknesses. And this is how it's so different from Christianity. Because God does not try to take away your weaknesses. Rather, what He wants to do is He wants you to survive your weaknesses. And so the very first thing that you and I need to learn to do if we're going to survive our weakness is we need to talk to God about it. We need to pray. Now you say, oh, no, no, we're not going to hear about prayer yet again. Pastor, you must touch on this like every other week. Well, guess what? (laughs) The essence of your Christianity is that you have this ongoing relationship with God where you are talking to him on a regular basis. And here's the thing. If you are not a person who engages in prayer on a regular basis... I mean, I'm talking daily now. Then here's the thing. You are not going to, you're not going to be walking with God and knowing His grace and strength in your life. Look at the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 9. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now you get the, you get the picture that the Apostle Paul is a prayer. He prays. He knows how to pray. And he's praying all the time. And then verse 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so here, look at this. It says, I pleaded with the Lord, but the Lord said to me. And so we have this conversation going on between the Apostle Paul and God. Well, guess what? This is not just for this, for the super Apostle Paul, this kind of a relationship with God. It's for all of you who are weak like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in his weakness recognized the necessity, the absolute necessity of having this ongoing relationship with God where he pours out his heart, he tells God what's on his heart, and God speaks to him. I just think it's so fantastic that God chooses to reveal himself as a father. Now, understand that. We're talking about relationship, aren't we? We're talking about a relationship with his children. I'll tell you, nothing, nothing has helped me understand God's love better than becoming a father myself. When I was in Greece, we had our very first child. His name was Jesse. And um, I had to get Jesse to do some things that were not easy, things that he did not want to do. I remember the very first thing we had to do is had to get him to take a shot. His shot in the arm, his uh, inoculation. I don't remember all that. My, my wife, the nurse, knows what that was. But I do know that I was the one called upon to hold him steady and to look him in the eye and say, it's going to be okay and this is good. And I don't know if I just imagined it or not, but I thought he looked at me as though I was, I was betraying him or something. <laughs> like, Dad, how could you do this to me? How could you allow them to stick these painful needles into my body? But you see, I was his father. And I knew it was best for him, even when he did not understand what was best for him. Now, you need to let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now, because some of you right now have been saying, God, where have you been? How could you allow this to happen to me? And God's got it all under control. He's got everything going according to his plan. And what you need to do is you need to sit back and say, God, I'm going to let you be God. I'm going to let you be my father. I'm going to allow you to be my dad. And that's exactly what God wants. And then from, from getting a shot in his arm, I had to take him to the dentist because when we were walking along, he, 
he tripped and chipped his tooth to take him to the dentist. The dentist was going to try to put in a fake part of a tooth there. Um, and again, Jesse's looking at me as though I betrayed him. What kind of a father would allow me to go through this kind of pain and agony? And um, again, I recognized, as I always do in those moments, I recognized how God worked in my life. Those moments when I couldn't understand why he would allow me to go through this struggle, through this difficulty, I learned that God was there. Never trying to make Jesse walk, try to get him to walk. And this time he proved smarter than me. He refused to walk in our apartment. Just would not, I would get him stand him up, I'd get him all ready to go, and he would not walk. And, uh, and then one day we went to the British Library just to, just a little break from our work. And he starts walking, just as though he'd been walking for years. <laughs> it's un- unbelievable. What made the difference? There was carpet in the, in the British Library. And in our place, it was just that hard, rock-hard terrazzo floor. And there was no way he was taking chances on our rock-hard floor. He was waiting until he was standing on the nice, soft, plush carpet at the British Museum. His foot had purchase. And if he did fall, well, it would be the nice, soft ground. And from then on, we couldn't stop him from walking. Now, here's the thing, my friends. God is your father. And he's calling you not to religiously speak to him, but relationally. In other words, he's calling you to pour out your heart to him. And that's exactly what the apostle Paul does. God, what's going on? Now, can I tell you this? God is not intimidated when you come along and ask him why. What's going on? Why is it like this? How come this is like this? And how come I'm experiencing this? God wants you to come like that. He wants you to come with all your questions. It doesn't intimidate him. It doesn't frighten him. It doesn't make him angry. He wants you to come with your questions. And three times Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord. And then finally God said, look, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not taking away your weakness. You're going to keep it just the way you are. God wants you to depend on him for the rest of your life. He wants you to learn what it means to trust him. Now, Jesus understood this because, remember, before he went to the cross, just before he went to the cross, he reminded his disciples who were not inclined to pray, whose inclination was not to cry out to God. What does he say to the disciples? He says this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. In other words, watch and pray so that you will not be overcome by your weakness. And then he says this, listen, because this is absolutely golden. And if you don't get this, you really don't understand the Christian life. Jesus says this, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. You need to pray. If Jesus, who is without sin found it necessary to go before the God, to go before the Lord in prayer, how much more do you and I need to do the same thing? And if prayer has been your habit, maybe you've been out of the habit, then I want to encourage you, gently, lovingly encourage you to get back into prayer again. Because that is the thing that's going to help you through your times of weakness and your struggle. Some would say, well, you know, God didn't answer the Apostle Paul's prayer. Well, he, in fact, he did. Paul said, God, take the thorn away. And God says, uh, no, 
the thorn staying. But don't worry about it. It'll do you good and keep you humble. And that's what God's saying to you and me today. Don't worry about it. It's going to work out okay. I'm going to keep you humble. Now, can I just remind you again, arrogance always leads away from God. Arrogance always breaks relationship with God. And I'm going to tell you this right now. (laughs) I know this from all my years of experience as a Christian. God will do whatever it takes to keep you humble. That's the work that God's doing in your life right now. He's keeping you humble. So that you will know the richness of a relationship with him. And by the way, so that you can have the richness of relationship with other people. Because arrogance kills relationships. Can I say it again? Arrogance kills relationships. Would you say that with me? Arrogance. It kills relationship with God and it kills relationship with the person beside you. And you were created for relationship. So God comes along and says, I got the answer for you. I'm going to allow you to experience some weakness in your life. And he said, well, how am I going to live with this? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul in the next verse tells us how he's going to live with the weakness in his life. Look what it says in Second Corinthians 12, 9. And here's God's answer to that very question. How on earth am I going to live with this weakness? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power. Listen to this. This, is, this blows your mind. This, is, this goes completely contrary to the teachings of this world. He says, my, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Not in your greatness, not in your, in your brilliance, not in how intelligent or how uh, gifted you are. It's made perfect in your weakness. And so the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So here's something that you don't hear too often in North American churches. You'll hear it in third world countries, but you won't hear it now, or hear it here in Canada. Not much anyways. And that is that it's not God's will to take away the thorn. It's not always God's will to take away the thorn in your flesh. But rather, it's his will to show you his grace. That grace, that, that amazing grace, which I'm going to tell you about more in just a moment. Folks, it, it, Paul, the Apostle Paul got in the habit of regularly confessing his need of God's grace. Do you do that? Do you, do you regularly come before God? I, I, I have learned... Uh, not because I'm brilliant, but just because <laughs> I've learned from experience and through through suffering how important it is for me to constantly cry out for God's grace. God, give me your grace. Give me your strength. And somehow, some way, God brings me through. Someone wanted to ask the question, what is, what is the difference between Christianity and the religions of the world? What, what, makes, what makes the difference? C.S. Lewis, a strong defender of Christianity, came into the conference where that was the, that was the discussion. He sat down and asked, what's all the commotion about? Because there was great, great commotion, great debate going on. And when he learned it was a debate about the uniqueness of Christianity, he simply commented, oh, that's easy. It's grace. That's what makes us different. That's what makes our, our, our faith different than the faiths of the world is that we have God's power at work in us and through us. So you say, well, what is grace this morning? Well, very simply, 
Grace is, first of all, God's undeserved love. And the thing is this, is that most of us, or many of us, have a hard time even relating to this because we never knew undeserved love. We only knew conditional love, where if we, if we did everything right, then we would get the pat on the back. And if we made a mistake, we'd get smacked across the head. I was thinking of that little boy who wanted to impress his father. You've heard me tell this before. And he got his dad's lawnmower out, and he cut the grass up nicely and trimmed the hedges and made everything look good. And when his dad got home... He didn't say anything to his son, but he marched right to the garage, turned the lawnmower over to see whether, in fact, his son had hit any rocks or the curb. And, in fact, he had. And rather than patting his son on the back and saying, way to go, son, he scolded his son and and uh, made his son stay in his room. I want you to know today that that's not our God. That's not our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven is full of grace and full of mercy. And that's what you need this morning. You need to come to God and you, say, you need to say, God, I need your grace. I need your love to hold me up. Grace is also God helping me. There's a book that came out. It was, it was spoken about on the Oprah show. Anybody know who Oprah is? It's called The Secret. Has anybody heard of that? And it's all about how you can have whatever you want in life and how you can, how you can have a better, better life. And it all seems good. It all seems fine, except there's one problem. And that is, is it doesn't include God's help. And I'm going to tell you this morning, you might go, be able to go for a while without God's help. You may be able to go for a while attracting, because this is what it's all about. It's attracting, attracting the help and the powers of this world to, to help you do whatever you got to do. But there's going to come a day when your heart, empty and sick, says, I need, I need something more. And that, my friends, is what grace is. That grace that holds you up, that strengthens you, and helps you face whatever it is that you've got to face. So let me ask you this question right now. What is it that you're facing in your life right now? And you just think to yourself, it's hopeless. I don't have the power to, to get through this. I'm not equal to this. The whole thing just seems helpless and hopeless. My friends, if you are feeling like that in any way, then here is the good news. God's grace is available for you. God's grace is here for you to get you through whatever it is that you're experiencing. And even better than that, you've got the Spirit of God at work. But you have to do this, my friends. You've got to confess your need of God's help. You've got to say, God, I need your help. I can't make it alone. And you have to do this regularly. You've got to do it constantly. You've got to do it all day long. You've got to say, God, in those moments when you're feeling like, oh, that's the moment to cry out to God and say, God, I need your power to help me through. And watch what God will do. Now, I'm going to tell you this before I go any further. Do you know that your greatest area of usefulness to God is wherever you're weak? Did you know that? You th- stop and think about it for a moment. That area where you're weak, that's precisely what God wants to use for His glory and for His honor. It, I don't understand why it works that way, but I do know this, and the Apostle Paul confirms it. It's that God works through your weakness, not through your strength. So where, where are you weak today? Where are you struggling today? My dad phoned me yesterday to tell me that he had just been speaking to Hank. And he said, I, I just am so amazed. I said, what, what are you amazed about, Dad? 
he says, here's a guy whose who's kidneys are not working, and yet when he's at dialysis, he's telling everybody there about Jesus. Amazing. God uses you, not in your area of strength, but in your area of weakness. That's where you become effective and become powerful for the glory of God. So rather than getting all upset and all anxious and all uptight, oh God, I'm useless now because I'm, I'm weak. No, 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 no. You're, you're useful now because you understand your need of God's grace. You're useful now because of your weakness, not because you are without weakness. I could go on and on and on and tell you story after story of people whom God used, not because they were so strong, but because they were weak. So what do we do? We talk to God about our weakness. You pray. You get God's grace in the midst of your weakness. We call it his power. And then thirdly, and this is going to seem bizarre to you. In fact, some are going to maybe will disagree with me this morning. You'll say, this can't be right. But in fact, I've got scripture to back it up. You need to praise God for your weakness. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Listen to this. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here it is. Your strength does not come out of yourself or out of your own your own giftedness, or your own brilliance, your own wisdom. It comes from God. And so what you're going to do is you're going to praise the Lord for. Listen, you're going to praise the Lord for anything that keeps you focused on Him. Your weakness will do more to keep you focused on Jesus than anything else. That's why the writer of Proverbs says, God, don't give me too much in case I forget about you. Don't make it too easy for me, God, because I don't want to run the risk of forgetting you. And so the Lord understands what you and I need more than we understand what we need. And, you know, we're so tempted to go into prayer and tell God exactly what to do with us. God, this is what I want you to do for me. I want you to do A, B, C, and D and make sure that you get that straightened out. And, God, make sure that you you straighten up my mother-in-law. Make sure you straighten up my husband and my kids. And make sure, that God, that you straighten out this and take away that and help me with this. And God's saying, hold on a minute. Do you want to be the ruler of the universe or do you want me to do that job? You need to begin to praise the Lord. And recognize that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Listen to this. In spite of your weakness, you can praise the Lord and thank him for the triumph that's yours through his grace. I like what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. What's going to make you effective for God's glory and honor is not that you're so strong, but that you are humble enough to confess your weakness. Drop the mask, my friends. Drop the mask. Stop pretending that you got it all together. Come before God and confess your need. Come before each other and confess your need. 
Now, I can't relate to a super apostle, but I can tell you this. I can relate to a weak apostle, an apostle who needs the power of God in his life. In just a moment, we're going to go into communion. And I want to remind you this simple thing. The only way that Jesus could take away your sin and my sin, the only way that he could purchase us out of sin, the only way that he could give us eternal life, listen to me, is by becoming weak. Did you ever think of that? He didn't come with with the hosts of heaven to subdue the world. He came weak and frail as a baby in a manger. He grew up subject to the attacks and subject to the insults and abuses of the men of this world. He became subject to the cross. And my friends, it was there in his weakness that the Father was glorified and you and I were purchased for heaven. We're going to go into communion right now and I want us to give God thanks for sending Jesus who became weak for you and me. And then I want you to say, God, help me in my weakness to recognize what you want to do in my life. God, use my weakness for your glory and honor. And that might seem humiliating and a humbling experience, but I'm going to tell you this. That's where you'll become great when you say, God, use my weakness. Let's see that video clip. I'm going to invite you to come and um, receive the emblems this morning. And I wonder if some of the, a few of the elders would come and help me. Before you take those emblems, would you give God thanks for what he's done for you at the cross? Would you confess to him your weakness and thank him that he is greater than whatever it is that you're struggling with today? And I pray that it would inspire in you a great praise to heaven, that you would be finding yourself worshiping him and praising him because he is greater than whatever it is that you may be facing. And praise him that he's going to use your weakness for his glory and honor. We're all going to receive the emblems, and I'm going to ask you just to hang on to them till we all have them, and then we'll take them together.
Let's stand together, please. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and broke it after he had given thanks and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take it together. Father, thank you that your son became weak for us and died on the cross. God, help us to acknowledge and recognize today that it's in the midst of our weakness that we truly become useful. That's where you're, you are glorified. That's where your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so we give you thanks for that right now. Thank you for your body and blood which is shed for us. In the same manner, after he'd given thanks for the bread, he took the cup and said, This is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. Let's take it together, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Would you just take a moment right now with your eyes closed? Just give God thanks. And give him thanks, not just for what Jesus has done on the cross for you, but give him thanks that he's working in your life today. He's, and he's using you, and he wants to use you. Give him thanks right now. Thank you, Lord.